this is Jorge. And this is Jared. Thanks for checking in on the Econified podcast. In today's episode, COVID mandates, guys. It's time to talk about COVID. Jared have a few anecdotes about it, but we're also going to share a little bit about ourselves, stories, and so on. Take the mic, Jared. Absolutely. I'd just like to start off briefly with a poem, an anecdote, something abstract to get our minds moving. Where will we find ourselves in the future? As the defeated looks on the millennials' faces portrays, is Gen Z really the ones to change things? Will cultural diffusion through the death of our forefathers really pave the way to the rock and roll of the future? Or will we be laden with a wisdomless void of utopian ideals? A cyclical movement ready to bastardize the future. I get it. If my proclivity is towards anything, it's towards liberty. How can it not? Why would I trust anyone on a throne? Don't even speak of a social justice warrior. I understand human nature. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I am an individual. And tonight, I spoke with many people. Several were black, several were white. Some were outside my realm of description. We were at a bar. Nonetheless, we are humans. Who gives a fuck? Pardon my French. We are humans on this earth. If I am insert race here, why does it matter if I spend time with insert race here? We are of the human kind. And if we are not on the same side, let it be apparent in our voices, not our appearance. Yes, appearance is important. It is embarrassing even to comport this to race. But you can find unfortunate souls of any race, creed, belief, or identity. You can also find the ones who strive for greatness. The social divide placed upon us by the cathedral of this country, the elite, is merely a facade. Like I said, I said, I sat and spoke with many interesting people tonight. In fact, I sat next to a Green Bay Packer. I am from Green Bay, and of course I was intrigued. This guy's name was Chuck, Chuck Washington. I sat with him. I sat with a poor black man with a beautiful white girlfriend. I played pool against them with this humble friend named Gabe. What am I to make of this night? Do I see prejudice in the streets or do I see media? Media that spouts what it wants to see, what sells violence, aggression, engagement, testimonies, comments, and clicks. It is a beast hungry for a kill, the murderer of joy. You can't possibly be happy. For why would you click on my next article, dear mistress? This is uh, something I wrote last night after uh, going to the bar on a little stro midnight stroll and watched a uh, you were drunk? I had, a, I had a few. I had a few. <laughs> Cheers. You might not see from my poor camera, but England. Where is drinking? If you buy me a new camera, I'd be happy to sponsor 
have you as a sponsor in our next podcast. We'll, we'll sponsor you. You'll sponsor us. You know, it'll be a mutually beneficial relationship. So that that's how it works, guys. We're terrible business. I fans. mean, yeah. But Jorge, <laughs> honestly, I don't. I know I've been so, talking yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Like, is this a monologue or is this a discussion? No, no, no at all. And basically, we're just getting the ball starting. Today's our first podcast. Um, excuse us if we don't do something great. I just well, with actually, but I want to say yes. We might be novel to making podcasts, but we are not novel. Or novices in sharing ideas. And let me tell you, I wish sometimes I might be a little bit better of a listener, but I just want to say outright, none of us are perfect. And Jorge, why don't you tell us a story? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So basically, I was born and raised in Ecuador, pretty much lived there my whole infancy until I became 70 years old. Um, my mother is American, so she told me to come to United States to study. Told at the told time is I was another a word, Marxist. Another word to say so, yeah, pretty much, right? I was highly encouraged. That's how I like to say it. And basically, do some schooling and see if I like it. Um, I went to school at North Prague University. After some time spending here, I learned a little bit to speak English too, way better, and then. I just enrolled for school. I studied economics and math. That was my major. And Jared and I, we met at a bar. We went hanging out. What, what bar was it called college, again? I think. Golden Crust, right? The bar? Oh, I don't think it was Golden Cross. It was something in Lincoln Square, Chicago. Was it that Dailies? We met. I think it was Dailies. It was the second Well, that just shows you, school. you know, we, and, we were having a good time. Yeah, actually, I didn't know Jared was going to my school and Jerry didn't know I was going to his school. So we just started talking and sharing a drink. So basically, we started hanging out from there. And then we, Jared went away to Arkansas to work. I stay in Chicago. Uh, We all have corporate jobs, more or less, at the moment. And one night we were talking to see what happens. We make a podcast about sharing ideas, sharing our experience, and Basically, be as factual as possible, but also have our opinions and emotions about how we feel. And that's how basically this got started. Jared has a more technical definition about it. You know, every heart needs a head and every head needs a heart. So, yes, I'm from, I'm originally from a small town in Wisconsin called Kakauna, Wisconsin. K-A-U-K-A-U-N-A. And uh, whenever we would go on any field trips, everyone would think, Oh, there's there's a Hawaiian uh, marching band coming. Uh, there's a Hawaiian tennis team, and then they would come. They would see how pasty we were. It's like no way those folks are from Hawaii. And sure enough, uh, Kakana is a Native American word, and it is in Northeast Wisconsin, not too far from Green Bay. So enough about that. Uh, who am I? Uh, well, I grew up in a small town, son of a truck driver, and. Stay-at-home mom. I have three older siblings. You know, so these are descriptive representations. But who am I really? Uh, I'm someone who likes to engage in ideas. I've always liked exploring the unknown. Found myself, you know, just on the edge between chaos and and order, to use a Jordan Petersonian language uh, or words there. But what I mean to say is that even though I grew up in this small town in this blue-collar background. I realized that I've been given everything that I needed, you know, an appreciation of hard work, of liberty, personal responsibility. And by no means am I where I want to be necessarily. But I think what 
is important in this, in my personal narrative, is just the fact that my parents loved me. They're together. I have a great family. And I see the benefits of a simple life. And by simple, I don't mean in any way substandard. I really mean a life that's based on principles and the values, and it doesn't have to get complicated or, or fancy. Uh, and I wish at times that that is how my mind worked, because I, I understand people like that are very happy, right? But I always felt myself exactly, yeah, like yearning for exploration. And so I studied, you know, gr growing up, my older sister, uh, pretty similar. She went to France and Peru and went to all these cool places. And from a young age, I saw this, uh, this possibility to see the world and to really experience uh, something outside of my comfort zone or what I even knew to be uh, what the world was like, like a completely uh, cult, a complete cultural paradigm shift that just makes you into something that you're, you're not. Like in the word of, words of T.S. Eliot, and I might be bastardizing this to some extent, like we come back to the place we first started and we see uh, a place anew, like a new place, some place that you have the context to really understand from a broader perspective. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of like you watch a movie mm -hmm. twice and you understand it differently sometimes. Or you see stuff you never saw in the first time and you're like, oh, this is mm -hmm. what's going on, right? So as you guys can see, Jared is a philosophical guy. Absolutely. I was you know, definitely always different. Let's just say that, you know, growing up in this small town. <laughs> yeah, my mom just my mom just to call me special. I don't know what she meant by that, but <laughs> I mean, happens to the best of us, right, Marie? We'll see. I, I was the special kid in school, right? <laughs> I always say I'd rather be special than than normal. Just to kind of finish my narrative, obviously met Jorge at a bar in Chicago, mm -hmm. um, drawn to the big city. But you know, cities are are fundamentally, I love them, but I also, you know, I, I'm a Boy Scout, man. Like, I'm an, I, I like to soar. I'm an eagle. You know, I like to be, you know, close. I want to be smelling trees. I want to be, like, sneezing on pollen. I want to have, like, you know, that that experience with nature on a daily basis. That was always what prevented me from wanting to stay in Chicago. So why did well, you leave in the forest? There's no people man. there. So I'm, like, <laughs> I'm kind of cursed in a sense, right? Because I'm, like, I love people. <laughs> I love nature, right? <laughs> so maybe one day I'll form a, a libertarian utopia. So so how do you feel during the COVID lockdown? Do you were able to go to nature that was the a, best, a lot? Or? That was the best part. I mean, we went I, on some camping trips, you know that, but I did a lot of solo trips. Yeah, but that was a weekend, but you spent like... Yeah, absolutely. And I was at the time... Tell us know, a little bit about it. Classical millennial. <laughs> just living... Uh, Living with my parents, paying off student loans. I thought, you know, going into college, like, ah, I'll study abroad in France for a year. I'll uh, I'll go to school for five years. I'll get two majors. Like, it's going to take me places. It's a good investment. Uh, and it has been. However, uh, you know, previous generations didn't have the same amount of uh, financial constraints, let's say, as perhaps uh, our generation with rising costs of education. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll move back to Wisconsin. That's where I'm from. And there was this great job working with the French Canadians. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, I always wanted to prove everybody who said, you're never going to find a job in French. Like you should have taken Spanish, Jared. Like, well, at least you proved yourself that the investment yeah, I mean, in France was worth it, right? Not really, but really? it was. It made me who I am today. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I joke, I joke. It, it was worth it. 
it was worth it. I'm just saying it on paper, if you're looking purely in financial terms, uh, it, it was probably an exorbitant price tag. Uh-huh. And, I, and when I was over there, I heard constantly like, oh, I can't believe you Americans. Like you get $10,000 in debt. I'm like, first of all, it's a lot more than that. Uh, to finish school, like here we spend $500 a year and we think that's a lot, you know, or 500 euros. Uh, so I... Yeah, but if you look at the economic side absolutely. of France, it's like 2.5 trillion and United States is 20 trillion. There's nothing to compare with that. You get what and you Jorge, you, you got a perfect point. Segue into my next point, which is <laughs> when I was just brief, like casually bringing up my parents' salaries and discussions, you know, in French culture, it's very rude to talk about money. Uh, like I've found myself in... So what they you just don't about talk philosophy? about money. It's just not. It's not a French thing. Like it's kind of rude. It's it's a uh, pass. It's not passive. Okay. Word. It would be like uh, opa. That would be the, the like something you don't do. Fopa. You know, a good little, little word for you. But no, what I'm on a tangent. Right. I realized that my father, as a truck driver, mm-hmm. was getting paid more in the United States than doctors in Eastern Europe. Uh, small a vineyard owner in Turkey, like just different like people around the the world. I'm like, wow, like I have a very high standard of living. And so we also so have, have high cost, high of living, cost correct? of living, like healthcare and which, mm-hmm. which compared to other countries, they may live at the same way, but the correct. cost that we pay is very high. Right. We're not talking about healthcare, but also buying a house in, any place of the United States is going to be expensive than any other place in the world. I mean, also where I mean, it in the depends United on the States, sector too. That's true. United States. It's a big place, man. Yeah. Chicago's going Chicago is very different than like you can well, buy that's true. houses in Detroit for less than a hundred dollars. Apparently. Like, I don't know if it's still the case anymore, but this was a few years ago. There was literally $1 houses as a part of an economic development plan. Yeah. I think there's a, there is a town or Italy that they did the same, but they catch what you're supposed to invest in the property, mm-hmm. X amount of dollars once you buy it. And then you have to at least be there for uh, X amount of months or live there, you know? So there's always a catch. There's no such a thing as a free lunch, Milton mm-hmm. Friedman. So this always comes with a catch or it's always this attacks or it's always something, right? Even if the government gives you like a first time home buyer purchase and you're buying your house, and you say you put 3% down or 5% down and you get your house, you have some restraints to who you can sell it, how you can, what you can do in the house and so on. So then even though you can feel you're getting a cheaper deal, you're always paying something either with time or with effort mm-hmm. or you have to forfeit something. At that. And I mean, I, I suppose I should probably explain my uh, background a little bit better uh, academically. I studied... Uh, business and economics, and also uh, political science. I like to call it international political economy because I minored in French and I just find, you know, it's quicker to say, but uh, at the end of the day, that is that is what I've taken from right. what I've learned. Economics are political, guys. There's always has been. Whoever says the contrary is, is nonsense. They're always political. It is, it is, but I guess we have to define what's political mean, Jorge. What does that mean? If I remember correctly, it came from mm-hmm. the Greek word people. And I guess the correct translation would be policies for the people, politics. 
and economics is just like the type of like tariff taxes or kind of like economic models we want to follow, right? Which United States has been pretty consistent in that. You know, the way how I like to summarize Democrats and Republicans, that Republicans want low taxes and small government and Democrats believe more in welfare, but both of them are capitalists, right? The end goal is the same. Uh, it's just the way it has to get there is different. I know nowadays it's so polarized that people talk about race and stuff, but that's literally not the case. And the matter of fact is like how we achieve greater standard of living, uh, finding these policies and these other policies, which uh, sometimes the United States has always been inclined to promote entrepreneurship and freedom of choices and markets. So that, that has always been the, the label of American in a few and other free countries as well. Some countries go more into the social welfare like France does or Spain does. Like they have a robust greater welfare system that we do in America too. I don't know if you yeah, want no, to add I think that's an interesting that perspective. I would say that, you know, I mean, obviously there's different definition of politics. There's more of like an, uh, like Aristotle's definition as uh, really the ultimate goal of politics um, is to influence behavior of the citizens to virtue. And nowadays, that's not really how we see politics. Now we really see it as something that's governance. And, you know, I'm split on if I believe with Aristotle or not. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but from, from what I understand about human nature, I can't trust someone in a throne. You know, if someone's in a throne, um, it's, they don't act the same. I remember being at a conference uh, a few years ago and it was uh, a member of uh, the Michigan um, Senate, the state Senate. And he was talking about they have a fund so that they can take a cruise every year with uh, basically lobbyists in the pharmaceutical industry. And he talked, he, he, in, his, in his speech, he discusses how from being in that position, position of power, it begins to change your neurochemistry, ultimately your behavior towards seeing yourself as someone who is, uh, you know, better than others, special. And it, you know, like I said earlier, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think it's important to understand, yes, would it be great to see someone in power uh, with the motive to encourage virtue? I think they, maybe from leading by example, I think that's necessary. I think people need someone to look up to. And by no means am I 100% state, like a statist or look up to statesmen, really. Uh, I think there's really great arguments for anarchy or minarchism or small, like really decentralized government where they're really just, uh, you know, just a defense force. And that at the end of the day, that doesn't mean everybody's acting uh, erratically and, and wild. Like at the end of the day, what drives people? Is it just because you're, you're afraid to go to prison? Is that what prevents you from murdering people? Perhaps some people out there. But if you have a decentralized power structure where you and others can establish in a decentralized way, this is what it's like to be in our community. This is what it's like to live here. You know, I'm from uh, this area. This is what uh, you think people should be able to smoke substances. Maybe you don't. But if everybody around you thinks the same thing, how can you really enforce that? as a virtue, like it almost has to be decentralized for you to preserve the liberty and at the same time, allow people to associate with others 
who have uh, their understanding of what kind of community they want to live in. Like for me, that's that enables anybody through movement to live the kind of life that is best for them. What do you think about that, Jorge? In a sense, I think we do a lot of that. You think to so? To be honest. At least maybe I, I, I think there are groups of people that tend to associate with other groups of people that tend to do stuff that they like, you know, like golfing and so on. And also with different ideas in the legal framework. So what we can do, you know, of course, there are some places that they don't allow you to, I don't know, smoke weed, you know, so you don't want to do that in public places, but you may be going to do it in, in in private places, right? Your house and stuff. I don't know if they, I, I mean, I don't we know. We still have a lot we, of civil liberties. We went to New Orleans, Louisiana. Yeah, guys, we went to New Orleans is, a few months ago. If you look objectively at some of the most strict marijuana laws, they have a three strikes policy where people can serve almost their whole life just from three infractions with marijuana. Right. So there is one state that enforce the law differently, you know? Everywhere. <laughs> marijuana so, all the time. <laughs> so right. that, that's an example for me. It's like that is, at that point, it's not an ethic. It's not a virtue. It's not just governance because I'm not even going to say that I'm 100% like democratic. Because what, de- like, what does that even mean, democratic? Like a majority rule? The majority of people can influence how you live. See, this starts, we're starting to walk on dangerous territory because like well, what I said before about association and having your own microcosm and setting your own rules, you know, at what level, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's hard to say, man. I'd, I'd, I really don't know, you know. Of course, I try to live by respect everyone's opinion and live your, your mm-hmm. life how you best please you, uh, you know, and... I try not to offend anybody in doing so. I don't so. know, man. I don't, I don't think you can live like Other than that. I don't think you in, can live like it's that. It's inevitable. You can't. You can't I mean, always... I try to do so, you know, but if somebody get offended by a comment, I say, Jorge, there's is, nothing I can do. This you is know? the problem. I try not to be offensive. I'm not saying everybody is a fool. I'm not saying say things in an inflammatory fashion. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying mm-hmm. stick to stick to what is right. Right, but how do you know what's right? You know, so then we go into a lot of philosophical questions, right? And uh, and a lot of like our, our cultural sense and a moral sense came from the Judeo-Christians, right? A lot of a mm-hmm. base of morality mm-hmm. came from Christi- Christianity, right? I was raised Catholic, you were raised uh, Protestant, so but pretty much overall is kind of the same mm-hmm. in a, in a nutshell, right? And and we tend to have a common ground, a common agreement based on those belief, right? And then when we go to somebody that is a Buddhist or a Muslim, uh, it's not exactly the same, but we can find some similarities too. If you go with somebody that has no religion or background or kind of the same religion and morality, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. connect with those persons, you know? Even though if you are not a strong believer, right? So it comes back to what builds society, what we think is right, what we thought like, 2,000 years ago was, was the way that the Western world, mm-hmm. how they call it, we develop, right? Uh, this is how, how, how we become, right? You know, we had someone so much in common nowadays. Uh, we, United States, at the end of the day, came from a superpower at the time, was Great Britain, right? And they were with this Western Wisconsin idea, came from Germany. Yes, and so on. So we had this... <laughs> 
I'm kidding. I'm well, kidding. you can say that, right? But we had the same ideas, right? We had the same, we read the same philosophers, you know, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. Um, we both knew about Jesus Christ and so on. And then the idea of me, uh, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, we all read the same books, right? Everyone reads Shakespeare. Everyone knows. So we have a lot of common ground that creates a common culture. Well, in the West, we did. We had. The, I would. I'm talking about my experience. Do I don't that know how they changed now. To communities, or to their nation, or to their religion, or to guiding principles or understanding of what it means to be you as as blank, whatever you are, as an American or or an Ecuadorian or, or French or something like that. Like that's something I realized when I went to Europe. Is like there's a guiding principle. Like, this is what French people kind of generally kind of live like. Like, they have a similar lifestyle. In America, we have no guiding principles in a sense. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, we have a dominant culture, but it's kind of a blank slate culture. It's meant to be filled in, you know, like colored with the, with your, your own context of your own religion and, and nationality. I mean, look at the early part of the United States, man. Like, it, it was, you know, Irish. Uh, Irish people fighting Germans and, you know, it was like, it, it was turbulent. And, but at the end of the day, they, you bring the culture here because there's not a prescri prescriptive narrative as an American. But I, I think that United States has that as a pill, right? Everyone can become American and everyone that comes here comes with ideas and so on. I like, and you just merge, right? I, I used to joke with people like, yeah, the Italians made pizza but Americans made it popular. Americans made deep right? dish. Yeah, like in, in, in right? Ecuador. So the hamburger. Or, or like, okay, this is how we make ceviche. We've made ceviche, or I don't know, what is it called again? Yeah, it's called ceviche. Right? Yeah, like, it's like, like, a, a, like a shrimp plate. Cold right? shrimp <laughs> soup, but it sounds much better. It's much tastier than how I describe it. It's a great hangover cure, let me tell you, after that, after a bad uh, tainted rum experience down there, it's very helpful. But... But I mean that, man. Like we run with stuff sometimes too far. Right. To the point. Like for sandwiches, you know, you could make a good case. That's a little too far. Right. But you also you got the case like New Orleans, right? That has a little bit of the American culture, a little bit of the Spanish culture, and a, and a more so French culture and and the Haitian culture too, right? That combines with everything and mm -hmm. makes, makes the food tasting, the experience mm -hmm. great, and the, and the music is seen, right? Because they had this kind of like a French type of living that they just want to enjoy life. Nobody talks there about economics or what you do for a work or for a living. I had to have a single conversation about that mm -hmm. with anybody in New Orleans. It, it was more like, what you have for food? What are you going to do? Like, look at this. Oh, you should check this cemetery because they do cemetery walking tours or whatever, you know. Or come tonight to this party. Or you should try this kind of food. And and even the the locals, they didn't seem to care too much about what they do for a living. They were just concerned and enjoying life. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was in the Caribbean. Absolutely, right. There's there's something about a port city. Like you're from a port city, Guayaquil, mm -hmm. and obviously the culture, the yeah. culture of a mm -hmm. port city, is. Uh, fundamentally ingrained or enmeshed or kind of transfused, I guess would be a better word to put it with other cultures. Cause it's, it's a trade city. You're, you're getting connected with different cultures, like just a crazy side story here. How was brandy invented? Like, you know, like I, you know, like I was, I'm from Wisconsin. We drink a All lot right. of brandy. 
like my you know my parents my parents go down to florida tell us about they ordering mm-hmm. you know a brandy sour and everybody's like well, brandy what where, where are you from hey what's what's up with that and oftentimes like oh it is brandy brandy sour you know that's that's what they hear and it's like okay these people are pretty charismatic northern folk i guess we'll buy it for them and let me tell you i've seen it happen several times but back to the history uh brandy was actually at one time it didn't exist the dutch were were trading uh, italian wines from the old world bringing it to the new world uh into like the you know like new york or new amsterdam mm-hmm. or whatever they're bringing it over and you know the sailors get a little hankering for this delicious strong beverage you know like not a lot of water on the boat sailors you know they tend to drink a lot it's hard to carry water they got a taste for this stuff right so this uh this brandy would be mixed with water in the new world but anywhere where the anywhere where like dutch people settled you have a, a lot of like brandy consumption the last time i checked i think wisconsin has a lot of dutch people i think i think michigan might too but from what i know brand uh wisconsin consumes like almost 40% of the nation's brandy from america's largest brandy producer corbell so so but how brandy, brandy is basically made, just though. distilled do you, wine do you figure that it's like think it's distilled wine i, I probably didn't describe oh really that, but it's distilled wine bring it across the sea uh it's just a condensed form like think of like those whenever you see those uh those trucks driving around they have like the liquid in them that's a slurry a lot of times they'll say like slurry yes. or something on it they condense it because like transporting things is expensive so you're going to try to uh you're going to try to put as much as much raw product that you can can put in that container before you transport it and then once you bring it to the new new place they can you know they have water so like you know if you're bringing things transatlantic through you know three or four months i'm not sure how it is i'm pretty sure it's around three months uh like you need to be super cost effective so that they distill it Yeah, it so it was more like an accident. And so brandy just just resulted because <laughs> it became a culture. It became ingrained with Dutch culture. And when the Dutch settled a lot of the northern parts, they brought it with them. And they they kept drinking brandy until this day. You know, so it's just an just an interesting example on how something like uh, you know, trade can re- can, you know, and and trade between two countries, like Italian wine, um you know dutch middlemen american buyers and then all of a sudden you have uh, a new phenomenon it's 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 why i disagree with sanctions and not to bring up a whole new su- subject but you're going right. to convince a people towards your country you're going to basically mm-hmm. uh, align your incentives mutually beneficial relationships you know i scratch your back you scratch mine you're going to be much more when there's trade when there's money flowing there's a way that people kind of set aside side differences mm-hmm. and come together. It's like the McDonald's theory about how countries with McDonald's don't go to war with each other. Uh, it's it's an example on how trade unites us. So if we put sanctions on countries, we're only harming the poor because the rich at the end of the day, they'll be fine. And they can just use that example of sanctions to say, "Hey, they're not willing to trade with us." Sounds like uh these guys are real shitheads. you know excuse my french but you know what i'm saying right like you get you get more uh more flies with honey 
than vinegar. That's all I'm trying to say. No, no, you're, you're right. You're on the money on this one. And I guess that's how bourbon and Scott are mm-hmm. got developed in America, right? Because they couldn't develop the same kind of whiskey that the, the Scottish would have made. And they, they make their own version with what we got in America, which we use a lot of corn, mm-hmm. more syrup, and it's a little bit more sweet. That's why Jack Daniels tastes a little bit more sweet than other whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And scotch is smoked. And so on. So we do what we can. Right. Now. right scotch is very smoky. But don't put a lot of ice because then you lost the taste on it. That's what I learned the hard way. So, Jared, we've been talking a little bit about personal freedoms, about ourselves, perspectives, about life, and so on. Let's talk about what we really need to talk about, the COVID mm-hmm. vaccine mandates, you know? So what I want to get in deep now is like, what do you think? Like, why we should have people be vaccinated? Let me rephrase that. Why people should be enforced to be vaccinated? Mm-hmm. You know, and I understand there's data out there that is more pro-vaccine, and that's a personal choice. I would say, always we say that, you know. But tell me, what would be you? historical perspective have we ever had any like that happen in the past oh how would do you think we should handle this pandemic that's a uh that's a great question jorge you might want to edit we should probably edit that part out i burped a little bit <laughs> so yeah, i'm thinking maybe no, cut to um <laughs> shit i i lost it all right Cut to this video. Are, am I able to share a video with you right now? No, I got it. With the podcast, uh, try no. it with the podcast. Uh, we can just think. Uh, Let me. I'll send you the link, and yeah, can we can of, just uh, uh, go on. All right. We'll start yeah. at really at the end of the day. This is an unprecedented time. We've never had lockdowns. Uh, or vaccine mandates. And there's actually a lot of history. Uh, and we can actually look at partly the black community in the United States are one of the most resistant factions of the country, groups of people who are who don't want to get the vaccine. They're resistant to these mandates. And uh, I mean, obviously, the NBA, uh, 90% are vaccinated. But at the end of the day, imagine yourself in that in that minority and right. if you understand the black community, uh, there was two cases in the past uh, that I can think of off the top of my head uh, that were incredibly uh, pernicious to the black community. Uh, public health has completely ruined uh, through racial means a community in the United States targeting sharecroppers, the disadvantageous. And in the same sense, the Tuskegee experiment shows us today what uh, what we can what kind of expectation we can have with our public health officials at the end of the day I think when, when I think of this question I think of uh, what is authority right when someone says an authority of something something that we can trust trust in that's what grants their right. authority that that's what that's psychologically like speaking mm-hmm. gives us the authority to respect someone Right. It's that there's great there's a greatness factor, like just like we look up right. to people, we have mentors and 
I think hierarchies can be important when those in the hierarchy are competent. But the problem is, if they're not competent, what are they? Incompetent or malicious. Right. Right. It's, um, uh, I forget, this, this is a razor. I'm forgetting which razor, but like it's the way of thinking about things. Um, at the end of the day, let's think back to the early part of the pandemic. Dr. Fauci, he tells people that the masks didn't work. And later, when asked and pressed about this, he said, we needed to protect the, uh, we needed to protect people um, by ensuring. By using the mask. Uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing here. Fauci is stating that he lied to the people in order to achieve an end. So fundamentally, how can we put faith and, uh, faith and trust in this authority? But how he lied to the people? He said that well, he we said shouldn't we should, wear a mask, and then he said we should wear a mask. It could be that they, he got no, more data no, he knew later. The emails revealed that, the emails revealed that he knew effective. that the masks were effective. He lied to the American people because he wanted to preserve the masks for the hospitals. If people thought, if people thought that the masks were effective, oh, hospitals wouldn't be able to get masks. So he lies. So this is literally about distrust authority. So he lies for a for an end. He's right? he's he's lied. But do you think we wouldn't be in a lockdown? Like, we wouldn't be out. That was at the beginning, but he's consistently lied. Like truly, he has lost his fiduciary responsibility to the American people. He said he says this was not gain of function research. When the emails reveal that they are gain of function research, he's just trying to play semantic games through deception, and he is not pressed by the media to actually disclose any real information. Mm-hmm. He talks about even recently, the recent example. He says it's too early to tell uh, if people and the media really asks him. Can you like? Can people have Christmas? And that's okay. that's the thing. This is America. We're two years into this. What is the goal? Is the goal zero COVID? Because that's not possible. COVID is here to stay. Just like the Spanish flu is a modern variant, or the the modern flu is a is a variant mm-hmm. of the Spanish flu of nineteen eighteen. Like it's here to stay. Of the Spanish so flu. By requiring booster shots. And by infringing our freedoms, that, that power will never be relented back to the people. We, we've allowed too much from unelected bureaucrats that get to dictate how 325 million people need to live without context of their individual, their local, their state, their regional governance. That's not even taken into consideration. So at this point, I don't know how we can really trust aside from like perhaps even having some contempt we need to keep our composure but we can't trust public health it's i mean look at look at this uh anti-vaccine or this uh that the the vaccine on the colbert report recently have you seen that you haven't seen Mm -hmm. it okay it could be appropriate it's 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 vomit inducing like the title of the video but it could be that I the think whole is 100% world... accurate. The vomit inducing vax. Like, I wanted to barf. I saw that and I'm like, are you serious? This is Stephen All Colbert, right. the same guy who hates on. And the thing is, if, if he hates on Trump and Biden, he's doing his job. He's in the media. 
He's supposed to be challenging authority. Why else do we have mm -hmm. the media to keep us aware of what we need to know? Media is lazy. No, bro. Well, he's it, a comedian. I think they just have listen, to man, that, off the There's fans. no facts in that. That's pure propaganda. Listen, man. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> say. Dancing. Here's why you, think you should have a vaccine. We think this is a, something between you and your healthcare professional. And I mean, really, at the end of the day, I don't know if I'm in the right place to be explaining how vaccines work. I'm not. A, I'm not a, a, a scientist. But what I what I do know is that vaccines fundamentally are tra are administered before. There's right. an outbreak, and the means, or the reason why we do that is to prevent the vaccine, or is to administer the vaccine, and in essence, uh, you're no longer allowing the vaccine to corral the virus. Otherwise, it will actually be manipulated. It will evolve around the virus. If it's transmitted to everybody, then just like why do they say it's bad to have 99.9999? antibacterial soap because it creates hyper pathogens that are immune mm -hmm. to you know antibacterial agents it creates a hyper strain so now we're just right. we're, by giving the vaccine to children to people who there's like literally one in a hundred thousand chance mm -hmm. that you will be you know actually critically endangered by this virus and transmitting a brand new vaccine that is made from genetics. Like but, but it's, it's a brand a new kind of vaccine. Give and it the to fact, children. What's that? What about children? It's, it's not a mandate in to California, give it to children. You know, it's, it's nothing it's like not you true, have man. in California. It's in just California, they just said, and if you go to well, school, you have to be governor, right? children have to be vaccinated, man. But the children can study from home, so, so the parents are, have some leverage too. No, everything's lost. Ostracized from society for no reason. For no, I mean, I'm serious, man. The vaccine does not. <laughs> what, Hori? Tell me, tell me this. I wouldn't call. Why should people get vaccinated? No, ask me or, or answer me. Go ahead. Well, the data has proven that you should get vaccinated. I think the data has proven that as you get vaccinated, you get less chances to get the the virus, the COVID. As you get it, it's not that severe on you. And and just for that, I got my shot. I trust the CDC and I saw that other countries were getting the vaccine, so we couldn't be all wrong about it. I don't think the whole world was all of wrong course about not, it. Man. Of course you not. You know, we couldn't handle it differently. The, 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 the vaccine fundamentally is a brand new technology. There are not long-term studies. I'm not saying that it will cause issues. I'm just saying it's not known. And there's a lot of deception. For example, the, uh, the, the vaccine that's been approved by the FDA, for example, it's not administered in, in the United States. It's not an yes. option. Mm -hmm. No, nope. Uh, and in my opinion, the masses do a lot of bad. There's social damage. And just the fact that we're a complete materialist nowadays, and we don't think it's important to see people's faces smiles, genuine interaction, uh, I am certain the long-term mental health implications mm -hmm. from keeping people in this sort of uh, really paranoid state is inexcusable. State. And it's, it's not something we should accept. Mm -hmm. It's brand new. Uh, this is more tyrannical than what we have seen in many 
regimes of the past. Like this is like I'm I'm not excusing the evils of the past, but I'm just saying it it's dangerous today because it's discreet. Because oh, what, what is it? Just a mask for two years, uh, st- keeping people away from their coworkers. We know the statistics when people are not exposed to social uh, conditioning. What what societies live like? Look at Sardinia, one of the longest living uh, peoples of the world in Italy, in the island uh, off of the, the uh, western coast of Italy. They're known for their, some people are known to drink wine all day. Many people smoke cigarettes, but they have some of the longest life expectancies because they have community. They have people every day. Right. They have social interaction with people that are, they've known for their whole lives and they have a strong sense of community that w- impacts everybody. So, so COVID has a, you know, a, a mortality rate. Yes. 700,000 people died of COVID, but the average life expectancy okay. is older than the average yeah, life expectancy of Americans. Too. I'm just saying yeah. we are abusing. I, I mean that we are abusing the youth for the benefit mm-hmm of the old who are at risk and the unhealthy. When at the end of the day, what we should have done is taken an approach like Sweden did. It's to make sure those who are vulnerable are protected, but freedom is protected. Like our open society. You can't, and- to give up all your freedom for security, you deserve neither. You know that Ben Franklin, uh, it's dangerous. We are walking, because what happens if there's a bad flu year at this point? Yeah. It is redefined the power that we um, that we believe is possible with the public health apparatus of this country, which I believe fundamentally is corrupt. Why do I think that? Follow the money. You, you have a point there and you have a point regarding the, regarding the lockdowns. I think we definitely lost a lot of time. I think I felt most depressed when I was in the lockdown and there was nothing to do and it was cold outside. And you couldn't see people like face to face, but it was this pandemic was also really new for us. We didn't know exactly what to do. We couldn't just we just took a distance and had a mask on. And you can see a peak, and after the certain peak in October or November of last year, you can see it go downward, right? So people start to hang out more with each other, and a lot of people had COVID too, so it became more like the norm. Right, and some people got vaccinated, some people did not. By this point, I don't think anybody cares. I think we more care about the social, right? And and think that, like you say, right, if you eat well, you exercise, you are not at risk. That's a good point, right? Even if you get and you get risk, you got a high chance to survive than other people does. I think that COVID does, in a sense, is like it accelerates everything that you, every disease you have in your body. Like if you have diabetes or you are excessively obese or you have like a heart problem and so on. That COVID really, really, COVID doesn't kill you, but COVID helps to, to kill you. It, it helps the virus, any other disease to, to kill you in that sense. Um, as far as COVID mandates, vaccine mandates, I'm not in agreement with that and whatsoever i would never gonna be like i support people to get vaccine vaccinated but we can have some other precautions right i like the sweden approach i don't like the lockdown approach at all i think we have a huge unemployment problem out of that 
destabilized society. You know, yeah. in America, I mean, just if I make like, people like, talk about riots the happen so during that time, uh, right? Trivially. So, uh, what is the economy, man? That's your dad's job, mm-hmm. working at the right. the uh, frozen pizza plant. That's your, you know, that is the livelihoods of people. Mm-hmm. It's not the economy, you dumb dummy. Like, what are you actually right. trying? Like, when you listen to the media, you really have to right. read through the lines. They're not going to tell you what is the nuance that's truth. Tr- truth is nuance. It's an interaction between variables. It's complex. It's messy. Mm-hmm. And whenever you see clickbaity headlines that are meant to elicit a response with opinionated language, and especially, uh, you know, like, oh, conspiracy theory. Well, explain to me uh, what what you're saying here, because at this point, conspiracy theory doesn't mean anything to me anymore, because many things that were once conspiracy theories uh, eventually come to light after it's declassified in some, in, you know, some sort of uh, FOIA request, you know what I'm saying? Or, or a whistleblower. Yeah, but it's not exactly how they mm-hmm. say it, right? It's similar, but not, not the same, you know, a, the, the thing that concerns me more about these virus is like China knew about it and they just say it's like current like it's kind of like a flu but a little bit more severe. And even nowadays they hide a lot of information in the labs. I don't know I'm not saying it was created, but it, it certainly originated in China. Well this and they knew about well, it. Well, hey, this wasn't we, the Chinese's right? prerogative. And the way this how they told us a story funded partly by <laughs> the big man, the big the doctor. Yeah, I know that United United States have a like this is pu- this we is have public knowledge research and, with and all the universities on the countries. Like you've seen, and, you've seen the video of Rand Paul yeah, with, they, um, they with were, Fauci. You've seen that? Yeah, yeah, I know. And they knew Fauci knew that they were studying the SARS. You know, they were studying Bath in China, close to Wuhan. But it it doesn't mean that. Fauci knew everything, email, but he could have do a little bit more. There's malicious intent, Fauci. Like, what I disagree with you there. I think those there's know. malicious intent with Fauci. I think he he is uh, legitimately I, uh, try, trying to claim this was not gain-of-function research with the exact same corona bat coronavirus mm-hmm. that we were trying to make it spread to different species. More tra- The transmissibility was increased. I believe is what a scientist might say, between species, that is gain-of-function research. Right. And he says, because he doesn't define that as gain-of-function, but what does gain-of-function mean? It means research that makes a virus more dangerous. So if you're playing around with a virus, you're playing uh, as you have the hands of God about a virus. Listen, man. But we do that every day, you know. We do that in a lot of research. Do we understand like the atomic bond the, the is one of the examples too of this? Look at what happened. Do you think that was a good project, Jorge? I think now oh, we're getting oh, to understand. We'll play around. Oh, I mean, we need to learn about science. Look well, at the result, Jorge. <laughs> you think the global? You think we would have been better if we weren't playing around with this virus? I mean, we ushered out a vaccine real fast, but how many people like? Well, and a lot of like, accidents. This has been blamed Man. on Trump and China. And no, this was created that the science suggests. We don't have enough evidence to say it was created. The science. It's, let's be clear about that. Points to <laughs> the likely conclusion that this, I mean, what's more, okay. Like you saw the John Stewart video, like 
so uh, if Trump yes. from a bat to a pangolin to, you know, I'm just saying like, like, come on, man, you have a coronavirus, the Wuhan coronavirus lab in Wuhan, China. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, there's a coronavirus yeah. all over. It was probably the bat. Like, like, come on, Hori, you're smart. You Like... Okay, let's say hypothetically. Come on, Jorge. It was, like, it was made in the lab. Okay, it, I. I'm not saying it's a hundred percent. I'm just saying. I, it's like, I, I would like to agree with you, but we don't not, have enough evidence. Not over, like if I was like, it's a hyper on my life that was made. I'm saying it is probably like a two percent chance it came from the pangolin, and a ninety-eight percent chance that it came from the Wuhan Corona virus. <laughs> And that's actually probably giving them probably giving them all too much there, to be honest. But you're so stereotyped. Hey, I'm open minded. I like to think that. Yeah. You're ninety eight percent confident. Uh, well, let's see it goes from there. Okay. So it was made in the lab. Chinese people the Chinese government doesn't make us a word about that. That's where the real problem comes in. You know, I think if they let us be more open, we wouldn't have the solution before. Or we would have been more cautious about how it spreads. Out. We're not. China is not the only government that studies viruses. Of course, we do it too. So just we have to be I, clear about. I know I'm not a scientist. It could be like, you know, this this podcast is called the Conified. I would highly recommend that listening to Dark Horse podcast. I think um, Brett Weinstein, Weinstein, and Heather Hain. These these are impartial, but they were driven off of their campus because they were teaching evolutionary biology. <laughs> at Evergreen, I believe, University or college, Evergreen College, perhaps, uh, in Washington, because they're teaching biological facts. I mean, this is where where we are. We're already conditioned, especially many younger people in this country are truly removed from objective reality. And this is why I think people who don't really understand Jordan Peterson, they're like, why does he hate postmodernism so much? Well, this is why. When there's no mutual reality, there is no understanding. You know, that doesn't mean that we can't be open-minded and appreciate other people. Mm-hmm. But I find at the end of the day, just to say that you're got it. You know, like think of, you know, think of the fact of like identifying with different things. Like there's some reasonable aspects of identifying with things. Like you can identify with like your hobbies, your lifestyle, playing the guitar, going on bike rides. But it's gone. It's gone to the core of who people are now, and we expect others to ignore the biological uh, realities, it. or maybe not biological realities, but just in more general terms, just from what we know from like uh, Cartesian understand, like you know Descartes. You know, I think, therefore I am. Like we don't see people as rational actors anymore. We're we're all in our own. We're all God in our own kind of bastardized uh, role in society. We do make that choice, but I'm saying we can rise choice. above that. Like we, we, we have to strive for something I, I believe you that. make that's that choice. Saying. I'm not saying that's how it has to be. I'm just saying sometimes what you really need is to confront the uncomfortable things about who you are and what you need to work on. You know what I mean? Like you, you should love yourself, but your strengths are your weaknesses and your weaknesses are so your strengths. So if you're not willing to identify that there are there's a, a double-edged sword to everything, you're never actually going to be a better person. You're going to see yourself as sufficient until you're no longer sufficient, and then you feel terrible about yourself. 
But at the end of the day, we have we have to have a higher now we have to be aiming towards something bigger than ourselves, something bigger than who we are or how we identify ourselves. We have to be a part of something larger. And I would argue that this sort of, uh, you know, this political takeover of American life and ideologies and division, it comes from the absence of values and value systems. You know, in Ecuador, it was Catholicism. And I could see that there was a way, uh, an organization of life that I found uh, truly amazing, like in a sense of just how things worked. So like an orchestra, mm-hmm. the parking vigilantes in Ecuador, right? It's mm-hmm. the, uh, Ecuador has a lot of poor people, but what we see mm-hmm. in, in America, a lot of times, like on the side of highways, like they're just asking for stuff, you know, they have a sign, you know, God bless you, uh, war vet or something like that in uh it was fascinating in Ecuador, they were selling uh, lemons, they were selling oranges, you know, and you could tell they just got it at the grocery store, like they were packaged in the <laughs> yeah. little things, or maybe they had a connection, but they were just right down the street, like just offering it up to cars. And then when you're, uh, when you're trying to park, they have the parking vigilantes, you throw them a couple bucks, they watch over your car, they kind of direct you into your parking lot, they stop the traffic for when you want to leave, and they just kind of they protect your car. They're a vigilante. And to me, that's like, wow, this is kind of like a, an interesting kind of fusion between kind of an anarchic process here, like a, of a free market where there's this agreement that people are who obviously like, would it be better if they're computer programmers or engineers? Maybe. But what, what do you expect if there's, no, if there's not the opportunity there? They see in themselves the, the, the void and they fill a need. And they, they see themselves mm-hmm. as able to do, to provide a service to others. And I find that uh, to be increasingly rare in this country because we take our, our wealth for granted. People always want to feel useful, I would say, you know, and that's something that they want to do because they want to feel part of something or part of society. And if the opportunity is hadn't there, they just make it, you know, you get it. You can choose to sell drugs or do something bad too in that respect, but the honest people that want to have that kind of lifestyle, they just have to see what they can do according to why they have. And that's how the entrepreneurs are born at the end of the day, I would say. You do what you can with what you have, and then you go from there and you, you grow and grow and grow. But uh, to go back to the COVID vaccine mandates, I think in conclusion, I don't think it should be any mandate. I think it should be your personal choice, disregard what you want to do or no. And if you go to some place that you see is going to be crowded or no, if you want to put a mask, that would be fine. I think that would be the safe option. And if you don't do that, just bear the consequences, right? I think at the end of the day, if this country allows people to pretty much do everything they want to do, I think it's a constitutional right to do whatever they want to do I, regarding the Yeah, country. I agree. I, I, won't I don't know if you want to add something to that, Jared. On it. I think it's uh, oftentimes too big of a thing than our life, our short lifespans like really uh, needs to hear about. Like there's a lot more out there. There's a lot more th- things to learn about. With that said, I would summarize my arguments in kind of like these two points here. For one, I don't think like for the, the to close the point on the vaccines, I mentioned before how I didn't think that many people were at risk. And that also from a perspective of immunity, I didn't want to uh, drive the virus, or we shouldn't drive the virus towards mutation if everyone gets a va- the same vaccine, it should be reserved to those who really need it. 
that's one of my one of my arguments. Secondly, I would look at like Israel and some of the other countries, and some mm-hmm. of this eventually might be outdated. But from I think what we're finding and what we're choosing to ignore is that those who are vaccinated still are spreading the virus equal or potentially more than those without the virus or without the vaccine, I should say, and who are also infected. So I would also argue that it's not a very efficacious or successful vaccine. I think that's just a, that's just a fact at this point, unless you are someone at high risk where, you know, if it's, if you're overweight, if you have diabetes, if you're elderly, then you talk with your healthcare professional and I'm sure they would suggest the vaccine to you. However, I do think that this incessant need for everyone to be vaccinated is pervasive and it's wrong fundamentally. And that's where I segue into my philosophical perspective, which is even if, let's just say this virus was 99% deadly, super deadly, everyone naturally would stay inside. They'd be afraid. Okay. But from kind of, from like, like look at Socrates, right? The story of Socrates. If someone out there just believes I'm just going to live my life until my last breath, bars should be open. Obviously, most bars will be closed. And 99% is obviously an extreme example. And nor would it really spread if it was that deadly. It would die very quickly. As we've seen, the more transmissible a virus is, the less deadly it is. And just the fact that everyone gets COVID just shows you that mm-hmm. it's not deadly. That is just a fundamental nature of of COVID. Yeah, the whole point of the virus mm-hmm. is and not so, to die, to, right? So they want to stay yes. in the in other people, in other yes, bodies. Yes. And, and so my last point I would say is kind of in summary is so fundamentally at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, we in the Western society give people the freedom of movement, mm-hmm. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Fundamentally, that means lockdowns should be impossible. Uh, based on our constitutional right. principles. And what are constitutional principles if they are only applied in times of jovial merriment, let's say, economic booms? Those words that define our nation, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that is what makes us Americans. You know, the fact that we are based on an idea that people have freedom. And you can, I mean, I'm happy to engage in arguments about, you know, what's free will, all, all of this. But I would say, let's set that aside for now, because uh, at the end of the day, if we lock ourselves down and we say that people don't have the freedom to leave their homes, right? to, you know, go to work, um, I, I understand the fear of COVID last year. I, I mean, I remember... Like, Jorge, I remember, like, I, I didn't go to uh, St. Patty's Day because I was lo- I was looking it up. I'm like, this is a new virus. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned yeah, I remember about this that. virus. And I stayed in and no one got sick. Everything was fine. Uh, and I'm not saying I should have, but I am saying I should have from my own personal perspective. You, you take your own – we as a country – of liberty-minded Americans have to let go of this puritanical root of our culture. And unfortunately, I think the left, um, as well as kind of the liberal majority of our political systems and uh, what some have called, like Michael Malice has called, the cathedral, including 
you know, like academia, Hollywood, uh, the media in New York and some of the, you know, like the um, in Silicon Valley, some of the largest and most influential companies of the modern world have the exact same mentality and they're willing to censor others if they disagree. And they have this, uh, this, this sense that they're superior to others. And we somehow look upon mm-hmm. that like it's, like it's, you know, uh, regardless of if it's true or not, like, let's just set that aside for a second. We say that like, we can't allow others speech. Why else do we live in this country if we're not allowed to speak our minds and to engage in discourse with our fellow citizens in this country that's supposed to love free, to, supposed to be the land of the free, right? Like this is what, when we talk about, when we have 4th of July, we talk about how people died on the soil and how we have a very imperfect history. But at the end of the day, we, before the United States, everyone, there's monarchs, dictators, in essence, you know, like we have a government, you know, government yep. is fundamentally flawed, but at least we allowed uh, the citizens to interpret for themselves what is right for them and what is their lifestyle. And what concerns me about this COVID narrative and what we should reject, what we must reject at all costs, is to not stay true to our principles. And unfortunately, nowadays, I believe the incentives are stacked against the principled and the what once people called pious individuals, those adherent to their their virtues is what I would define that as. That is um, a better life than to just listen to Mm -hmm. authorities and spout a narrative and not provide discourse and be afraid to give your – what you like you're be afraid deeply to in a sense the amish people that's that you know they live by the virtues and how they want to live and they have different communities i mean it's not like illegal to do that in the states well it's it's, it's just less amish, common i learned yeah of course but, but what's interesting they, about again the amish, don't say extreme right, examples, they are self-sufficient right? besides they don't pay into social security <laughs> They uh, aren't included in the draft. That's interesting, right? It's they are, in essence, like their own people within this huge empire. And um, I don't know. I, I I really think at at the end of the day, about the uh, when we think about COVID on a national um, macro aggregated, whatever you want to say, perspective, big perspective. Uh, it shouldn't be about the efficacy of the vaccine. It shouldn't be about the mortality of COVID uh, or the number of cases. And that was actually what I forgot about. What, I was, uh, what I'm trying to say here is the number of cases is irrelevant. If it's a transmissible virus, but it doesn't harm people, uh, there's no way to prevent yourself from getting COVID. And that's been a lie that's been spread. Uh, people, everybody's going to get COVID, you know, and everybody's at some point is going to die. And that's something I think today people don't realize. And that might sound insensitive. And I'm not saying people should die from COVID. They shouldn't. They should take all the precautions that they need for their specific circumstance. But to cast a wide net, 
to say everybody has to live like this uh, without regard to any other sort of metric, such as mental health. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, over the last few years, the life expectancy started declining before COVID due to the opioid crisis because people were uh, removed from their source of uh, of lifestyle, of like their livelihood. You know, many of these places with the opioid epidemic, they had no jobs. They had no purpose. What do you expect? And then you, you in, in essence, create an entire society where people are either disenfranchised from work, they can't pay their bills. Uh, even if you work, even if you're one of the more, I would say, fortunate ones, like you or myself, Jorge, where we have a you know stay-at-home job, like it still affected my mental health. And at this point, you know, uh, it's it's mm-hmm. going to be about two years probably until I'm back at the office right. with with coworkers. And I do think that has had a negative impact on my health overall. I don't think that uh, that was an appropriate measure for my specific uh, lifestyle. And also, based on the information that's been available, like, because I understand your point, your point, Jorge, like, yes, at the beginning, we didn't know what was happening. I myself was confused, like I said, but we've had, we've had a lot of time to learn. And are we not? just moving in one direction because it was the direction we started in? Have we not considered other directions? Taking in the information that's obvious, the vaccine doesn't work so well. It's not as deadly as we thought it was going to be. There are specific peoples that are affected by this virus for the most part. Vaccinations protect yourself, not others from you. At the end of the day, it's it's for you to still get COVID, but to get it less severely. At the end of the day, that's an individual choice. And by shutting people down uh, implicitly and explicitly, uh, explicitly from the national lockdowns, government control, but also from the influence of public health uh, and the national narrative about the, the dangers of this virus, which I believe are quite obviously misstated if we every single day you turn on the news and it says case 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 what does it matter about cases when we're talking what really matters is about the impact of those cases mortality death uh critical you know that is what matters and as you if you actually look at the data uh, the, the mortality of COVID is not what it once was. Delta is not as uh, as dangerous as far, in terms of death as the alpha variant or whatever they call it, uh, because it's more transmissible to that that previous point. So, like we this this is like I'm not a scientist, but can someone just answer these questions for me? Uh, can can our uh, can we stop censoring people and respond to the very real concerns about the virus instead of joining the groupthink and just jumping on board? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, at the end of the day, there's no answer to the obvious questions that need to be answered before instituting 
a policy that affects 325 million people at the end of the day. Like, let's break it down and look at it, what it actually is. These specific, the United States is too large to be handling this at a national level. This needs to be de- uh, delegated to the states right, as prescribed in the Constitution. And that might be a topic of another okay. episode. But I'd just like to thank you today for listening to our podcast. And we're excited to grow with you throughout our podcasting journey. Jorge, why don't you share a few of your final thoughts before we close up? No, on the note, we have to say goodbye. I totally agree that the vaccine should be an option, no a mandate. The data is up there. Obviously, I think you guys know I'm pro-vaccine. Jared may have his opinions on it, but I shouldn't agree it has to be a mandate or enforced whatsoever by the law. I think that's unconstitutional. And I would set a precedence that everything is possible in terms of how the standards goes from now on, right? And on that note, that's all I have to say. See you guys. Bye.